Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, an, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, NPTEFF.com. And use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field. Got with us today, longtime friend and amazing healthcare provider, somebody in a field that uh, you may not know about, and that's the reason we've got her on. Today, we have Dr. Rebecca Griffith coming on to talk about healthcare and, and more specifically, DPTs in the emergency department. So Rebecca, tell us about your academic journey and how it's led you to where you are today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so my academic journey, like I was going to be a lawyer and, uh, you know, I'm not obviously. So there were some, some significant detours. When I was in high school, I actually graduated early and um, I was going to go to Occidental in Los Angeles, become a lawyer. Like, because I was raised on John Grisham. I mean, I almost failed math because I was reading John Grisham books in the back row. So I that's what I was going to do is I was going to be Tom Cruise in the firm, you know. Um, but then my dad actually had some health issues and had a below knee amputation right around that time when I was graduating from high school. So I'd been accepted to college, but like no one was available really to help me figure out how to go from being accepted to like getting in and like going there and like filling out all the financial aid paperwork. And so it just felt like also it wasn't the best time to leave my family. So I, I graduated early and I went and got a job and I deferred my college um, acceptance for a year just to see like how it would go. And then I actually, you know, stayed in Colorado. I got engaged young. <laughs> for anybody who's listening, I got married when I was 19 years old. So I, I did that during that time as well. My dad had a second baloney amputation. I worked while my husband finished college because he was in college before me. And then when he was done, it was really time for me to decide, like, it's, I, I can go to college now. Like, what am I going to do? But after kind of following my dad's journey through his knee amputations and like seeing him do things like learning to take his second first steps, which is my favorite thing about physical therapy, those second first steps and the, the hope that we bring. I was like, that seems maybe like a better path for me. And I also had like dabbled a little bit and like, maybe I'll become a financial advisor or I'll do investments. That's not for me. Like, I'm not that girl. I need to move. I need to talk to people. I need to be with people. And, and I really feel so strongly about bringing hope to people. So at that point, I was able to go to college and focus on exactly what I knew what I wanted to do. I went to see Boulder, had a degree in kinesiology, applied physiology, and then went to the University of Colorado DPT program and loved everything about it. Graduated in 2008. And here we are. I did not know you were thinking about law to begin with. That is uh, interesting. That's uh, you learn something new every day. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're getting to do this and chat. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent over it. Like I feel like maybe when my kids are all gone, like I'll go to night. Go back school. to school. That's fair. Yeah. I've known people that have done it. It's not crazy. There are a handful of DPT JDs out there. I know, I know a few of them. So it's I, that I, whole lifelong learning situation. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have, you know, way too many degrees, uh, 
for my liking, and I'm still considering a possible MBA. So I hear you. I just need you to know that it's not like buy four degrees and you get a free frozen yogurt. Like there, it's, I, you know, I hear you, that. You can't stop. I have heard that. But yeah, that damn lifelong learning. Let's 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 talk about why we're here today, right? This is uh, something that I love talking about with you, mainly because of your passion for it, your your knowledge, your experience, but also because it's it's not so much new per se, but it's new to me. It's new to a lot of our students They that, you know, they didn't know about this stuff. So I love being able to bring you in and talk about this, but physical therapists in the emergency department, tell us a little bit about how that kind of came to be and what that looks like. Give us your take on this. There have been physical therapists doing this work for decades. And, and so what I'm doing is, is not new, as you said, and, and I'm certainly probably not the the first one to be like shouting from the rooftops, this is important. But I think the more that I've seen change during the pandemic, the more crucial I think it is that we are in the emergency department. And also on my journey to like allyship, uh, I have also learned that access to physical therapy is is extraordinarily limited and to healthcare in general. And I've, I've learned so much more about social determinants of health and things like that, that why are we not in in the only safety net there is for people in our healthcare system? And especially if we want to help connect those people and move a little bit more upstream, that it's absolutely where we need to be. So mechanically, I, I am in the emergency department and I treat patients like you would in any other setting. I evaluate them, I intervene with them, I educate them, I make them a plan of care. It just looks different. And if every patient that went to the emergency department was there for like a life or limb-threatening emergency, would I be there? Probably not. think that when you think about the number of things that are frightening to people, the number of things they don't understand about their bodies, like there are so many reasons people come to the emergency department. Low back pain is one of the top 10 reasons people come to the ED with over 2 million visits per year just for low back pain. What? Why are we not in every facility that's seeing that many patients with low back pain? So that's just one example, a less traditional example. I was thinking about this this morning. We had a patient come in with a massive trauma, like fell off a building, broke both ankles, several other issues, like scraped, like had, had to have like things like picked out of him and sutured like while he was awake. And, and he said, I am an opioid addict. I'm recovering. I live in a halfway house. I do not want any medication, like none. Yikes. And the team didn't know how to handle that because they're, they're not used to having people who are awake. They're not used to having people who, who don't want pain medication, and they're not used to having an alternative way to help. So, so did I do the suturing? No. Did I stabilize the fractures? No. What I did do was hold this gentleman's hand I worked with him on breathing exercises. I talked to him about different ways to visualize the pain. I talked to him about different ways he could distract himself. I helped them position him in ways that were more comfortable and just stayed with him through that whole experience so that he could he could meet his goal of not receiving pain medication after a massive trauma. Yeah, I mean... It makes total sense. The more we dive into this and the more we talk about the different ways and aspects that PTs makes total sense in the ED, you know, the ED, it, it just is one of those things that I don't know where we got lost along the way. Like, how did we, yeah. you know, deviate from, hey, we've been doing this for a long time. It should just keep growing and growing and gaining momentum. You know, it's like 
one of those things that kind of got forgotten along the way and, and got dropped, like the ball got dropped. You know, there's like a disconnect now and it doesn't make sense. But the stories that you tell, the blogs that you write, uh, we were talking about it in your journal club, which again, just another great resource that that I was fortunate enough to take part in. I specialize a little bit more now in my career in geriatrics, right? I've done a lot with skilled nursing facilities, with home health, uh, you know, ALFs. Just, it just is the population that I've kind of fallen into, uh, you know, over, well, pun intended, over the last, you know, many years, right? So for me, the emergency department is a perfect place because elderly people have falls. They come in and we ha can help assess, hey, is this bad, right? Is this not that bad? Or, hey, you're going to be fine. Let's, you can head home, right? So the doctor yes. will generally come in, do like a triage and, and put them in a category and then send them to us. And we can then help like start the process of like, okay, uh, you know, you, you just need a little bit of strength training and maybe some balance training or, hey, your strength's really good. It was just a minor fall, no injuries or anything here. Just start doing some of these balance things or, hey, you're, you're perfectly fine. Everything looks good. It was just, you know, close call. You kind of stumbled. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, maybe we should start looking into a single point cane or an assistive device just in case, right. To have it there yes. just in case. So, uh, again, makes perfect sense to me in geriatric world. Um, what are some other areas that, that the emergency department kind of has PTs involved in? What is, what is some emergency medicine type stuff that you're seeing? Well, I would just kind of link back to that geriatric population. Sometimes they're falling because their vitals are unstable with mobility. Yeah. And nobody else is looking at that. So as we're doing that assessment, do you need a front wheel walker or something like that? Like, oh, it turns out you're hypoxic to 70% when you're up and moving around. And when you're supine, you're at 90%. But that's leading you to make poor decisions. It's leading you to be confused. It's leading you to, to fall. And so sometimes we're actually helping the emergency med medicine team with their differential diagnosis. And sometimes another example would be vertigo patients, patients who come in with a primary complaint of dizziness. And as we know, there are over 86 reasons you can have dizziness. It's like, is it medication? Is it peripheral vertigo? Is it somatosensory issues? Is it cervicogenic? You know, is it a stroke? Like, these are all things that we have a really nice systematic way of working through with patients to see like what, what might be causing that dizziness and is that also impacting your function? So there are times when we see a patient for peripheral vertigo and it's not because we have that expertise to help identify. So we're like, no, gosh, I think this is actually a stroke. Let's get this person the, the care that they need right now. Or patients who have like post-concussive syndrome and they keep coming back to the ED after a head injury because they feel terrible. They think something must be really wrong because they're still dizzy. They're still light sensitive. They have horrible neck pain, like all of these little sequelae that people are not prepared to address on their own come back into the emergency department. That's another example. We, we also are seeing a lot of patients with COVID coming into the emergency department. Uh, sometimes it's, it's functional mobility. Uh, sometimes it's activity tolerance. It's like, how can you breathe functionally and continue moving? Those are all things that we've been working on in the last year. All of those things, we can make a huge impact in addition to just those typical musculoskeletal issues. Yeah, I love that. I mean, reading a lot of your blogs, right? Seeing all the stuff you're doing, uh, you know, with the Journal Club and with, with well, you know, all of the resources that you have to offer honestly really makes me wish I was starting my career over again because I've been in every setting in physical therapy that you can imagine, or so I thought, right? And now I see, you know, you really taking the torch and, and screaming it from the rooftops that like, hey, we need to be doing this physical therapist step up. And if you're interested, 
come along with me for the journey because it's a pretty cool setting. And now I'm like, man, I, I, I just love how passionate you are and how much you put into those things that are are all things emergency department and, and DPT, right? That that shows how PTs can can get involved. So where are some places people can go to kind of look at some of your stuff and find some of the resources that you have available for people that may not know about the emergency department route for physical therapists? Oh, that's a great question. So there are lots of great resources. Um, the APTA actually has a really nice like summary page for like pertinent research. I, I would say that our website can supplement that nicely. It's the eddpt.com. On our resources page, you can download over 100 references that pertain to this practice area or might be helpful to you in your practice. Every month, we do like a cat review of a journal article that pertains to PT in the emergency department and make like a too long, didn't read version for you. So a take five for EBT, five minutes or less, you can like know all the pertinent things about some of the most recent literature that affects your practice in this area. Our podcast is wrapping up its first season this week with Dr. Howard Kim from Northwestern University. We have been interviewing people who practice in this setting, whether they're physicians or nurse or physician assistants, PTs, OTs, also people that can help us be better. So learning about cancer rehab and how to help people with oncological diagnoses, how what the home health PT wants you to know about, you know, how to send these people back to home health PT a little more safely. Also, we have a lot of continuing education options available. So that ranges from webinars that you can download and complete anytime that you want to, to our first upcoming two-day live in-person course that's going to be January 13th and 14th in Madison, Wisconsin. We are so excited to do that. Like, I'm excited to be in the room with people who are who are interested in that. And Dr. Sarah Neckmodel is going to join me as my co-instructor. Madison, Wisconsin and the, the folks in Wisconsin are doing such a nice job for early access to physical therapy that this is going to be the best place to have that course. So we're really looking forward to that. And then I'm really excited that hopefully I'm going to have a book out in January called Top of Scope, the handbook to pet practicing in the emergency department. And that, I tell you what, was like, a labor of love, but I really hope that it helps somebody who's interested in learning more get started. And it helps really demonstrate the value of why physical therapists should practice in this setting as well as urgent care settings. There's not that many books that come out in the physical therapy world anymore that I'm just amped up about and I'm really pumped for, you know, Joe Tata and crew did a great job with their uh, wellness and, and integration mm -hmm. book. That was like a greatest hits of a lot of my favorite uh, PTs out in the world doing amazing things. You could um, send that to me for the holidays if you wanted to. I I may be <laughs> able to find you a copy of it. It is, uh, I'm not all the way through it yet. I, I just wrapped up finals this week. So I am now free for the next uh, couple of weeks to do some leisure reading. Uh, but I am super excited to to finally read your book as well, because again, it's just, it's a topic that, I hope I can instill on my students and show them that like, hey, this is a cool option too. You know, like I'm excited about it. Like I said, I wish I had another crack at it so I could, you know, at least give it a try and see, you know, dip my toes in the water. But uh, yeah, too I'm late. I, well, yeah, it's never too late, right? I just need uh, more hours in the day. That's all. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. The other thing I like too about the idea of physical therapists in the emergency department is breaking down those silos. Mm. Uh, and and just being able to work with a lot of the other healthcare providers that you mentioned, 
What does that look like? What is that, uh, you know, relationship like? And how, how does that work in, in the emergency department, uh, at least where you're working at? Well, shout out to the University of Colorado because they had a really good like interdisciplinary program where the medical students, nursing students, like we all collaborated together for at least one course to like learn how to engage with each other. And the student government was that way as well, um, so that you could had some exposure to other disciplines. So you kind of knew about each other before you made it out to the real world. But the emergency department is so different in that these professionals usually don't have a lot of exposure to PT. Like they're not primary care doctors. They're not orthopedists. Like PT is not on their like top list of professionals that they interact with. And so it took a minute. It took a minute for us to really like demonstrate our value establish our expertise. And once we did that, it was just like the switch flipped and they they saw us immediately as a resource that could help them and their patients. So after our initial pilot program, we actually did a satisfaction survey with, with our physician and nurse practitioner, our physician assistant teams saying, hey, like, does physical therapy help you provide better care to your patients? And like 92% strongly agreed, 8% agreed. No one was neutral. No one disagreed. Like everyone was all in. And I think the, the longer we're there and the more time we spend with the team, we're seen as part of that team, just like a case manager or social worker. And our uh, evaluation, our assessments are taken just as seriously as like the neurosurgeon who's consulting on a patient. And I love that. I had a physician the other day say, Oh, well, what I tell people is that Dr. Griffith will be coming to see you and she is going to diagnose and treat you and that she's the expert. Ash blew me away because this physician is both an emergency physician and an ICU intensivist. And the fact that she's relying on me to help diagnose, treat and manage a patient really, really helps cement the fact that we are experts at what we do and we need to own that and know that we can contribute to that whole team. Yeah. We're also helping the team. Like we're helping that nursing staff. We're helping those paramedics. You know, we're just assisting wherever we can. In addition to providing things like staff training on body mechanics and like how to safely transfer patients, how to manage environmental issues for to, to prevent delirium. Like there's so many ways that we contribute to that team. And I think that's part of our success as well. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've done biomechanics training for nursing staff uh, when I worked in acute care and, and hospital settings. I'm uh, actually going to do it for my kids' orthodontist. Like, yeah. they were like, hey, can you tell me what to do about this neck pain? I'm like, yes, I can. Yeah, I can do that. Funny you mention it. I happen to be an expert in that. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Rebecca, where can people go if they're looking to get started, if they're interested in, you know, maybe being a PT in the emergency department? What, what are some tips, tricks, or pointers you can give them to kind of steer them in the right direction as far as, you know, groups to get involved with or, mm. you know, things that they can do, steps they can take? Uh, give us your ex ex expert advice on, on how to set someone down the right path. I'd say first thing is just connect. And social media obviously has its pros and cons. It's the best way to do that because you're immediately connected to emergency physical therapists across the country. So I have two pages you can join, the EDDPT on Facebook, as well as the Emergency Department Physical Therapist group that you can join. We do a lot of discussion there, um, journal clubs, things like that. There's also another Facebook group called Emergency Physical Therapist. This includes people who do wilderness medicine, disaster response, all that cool stuff. Lots of people to connect with there. You can find us Instagram, Twitter. All of those are really good places to, to connect. But I would say that's step number one. Step number two is vary your experience. 
Because when you're truly practicing top of scope, you can't just be an orthopedic specialist and you can't just be a geriatric specialist and you can't just only do acute care. So, so for example, if you're a student and you're listening and you're like, this sounds amazing, I want to do that, I would encourage you to pick a clinical in a different setting every single time. First of all, you'll learn a tremendous amount about what it means to be a physical therapist. You'll learn different ways of thinking. You'll learn how to intervene differently. But you'll take little nuggets from all of those things to become a specialist at being a generalist. And I think that's one of the best ways you can go on to become an emergency physical therapist. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's it's basically taking the generalist approach, right, which kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. Like uh, a couple of people that I work with specifically are some of the best generalists I've ever seen. And because of that, they're like a utility tool. You know, they're literally great at a lot of different settings and can. And it's because they've taken the time to work full time in acute care, then do PRN outpatient, you know, and then do their own little business doing, you know, women's health or whatever it may be that they're they're diversifying their their skill sets. And it really, really sets them up for a phenomenal career. You know, I wouldn't say that they're great at any one setting, but they're so good at a lot of them that, I mean, they can they can pick and choose, right? Their experience brings them a long way. Well, there's that. This is one of my biggest soapboxes. There is that quote, like a jack of all trades, master of none. But the full quote is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Yeah. So really, like you, we need niche PTs. We need PTs that specialize. Like I have a friend who only treats Russian ice skaters, for example. Like we need people Pretty who niche. do that. I, I would like to see a specialist if I have a very specific problem. But we also need people who specialize at being generalists and can handle anything, just like emergency physicians. Am I going to see you get back to playing in the World Cup? No. But can I stabilize your injury and get you started on that path? 100%. And so we need to have PTs who can do that in many settings, but especially this one. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Speaking of soapboxes, I want to kind of dive into... One more uh, topic that that I think has kind of been uh, your bread and butter over the last uh, couple of years, whether you know it or not, uh, but specifically from working in the emergency department. But that's really dealing and handling tough, stressful kind of positions and situations and handling them so calmly and so well. And I feel like a lot of that has to just come from experience and just being in it, right? Literally in the mix. Tell us a little bit about how you do that so well. How do you handle these stressful situations and how has your experience kind of led you to that? Oh my gosh, can I say that like being a mom is probably the thing that helps the most with that? <laughs> like, that's, that's fair. Like my that's big, fair. My baseline experience of parenting multiple children, it, all with like different needs is is one thing that really helps you, right? Because by modeling that behavior of like staying calm in a difficult situation, you're teaching your children how to do that as mm-hmm. well. But then I think what I've learned in the emergency department is that when things are really bad in our emergency department, you can't tell. Like if you walked into our ED during crisis standards of care, you should not be able to feel that because everyone there is like, carrying on that same rock solid way they always do to maintain that peace and that sense of stability and safety for the patients. Because when we talk to patients about their pain specifically, what is the first thing we need to do? We have to like help those people regulate so that then they can receive. 
And if we're not able to do that in the emergency department, then our patients are not going to be able to do that either. So that's the first thing that I, I have really started to focus on in emergency situations and really highly stressful situations is regulating myself, whether that's through mindfulness or self-care. I, I post about this every week, like what did you do to recover this weekend? How are you filling your own cup? Because if, if you cannot self-sustain, you can't care for anyone else, either as a parent or as a physical therapist. So I'd say that those are the, the first two things. And then you have to really acknowledge like the trauma and the stress that you're feeling and find ways to cope with that. And one of the best things to do is to debrief with somebody and talk about it. Because I think as a, as a culture and particularly as healthcare workers coming out of a pandemic, which we've never had to go through before, I've seen things that I, I won't ever unsee. I, I've had to help with things that I never thought I would. And being able to take that time to process that makes a tremendous difference. And if you don't do that, if you don't clear shelf space, so to speak, you don't have room to keep adding. So those are the biggest takeaways is managing your own wellness and well-being. And I think we need to hear that more often as healthcare providers. And then finding a way to process safely and healthily, often with someone else, because they need that. You, you often need that insight to tell you when you're not okay, because sometimes somebody else can hear it and they can help kind of steer you in the direct, right direction. So mindfulness, wellness, and like true collaboration with, with friends or trusted colleagues to allow yourself to let go. Yeah. I, I mean, those are the biggest things. You, you really put that into a, a pretty good perspective, I think. And that's, I think, how and why uh, you're able to do it, you know, so beautifully. So, uh, you know, keep up the great work there and, and, and helping clinicians and healthcare providers recognize how to, to stay in control, uh, especially in stressful situations. So we ask uh, all of our guests this one final question. And that question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change? How would you change it and why? I think there needs to be more time for exploration because I, I've been having this conversation like lately. Somebody said, are you going to make your kids go to college even if they want to go into a trade? And I said, well, I, it is my expectation that they will go because I want them to have that time to explore learning for fun. I want them to have that time to explore self-chosen learning. And even if we have a set career path, like you know you're going to be that lawyer from John, from John Grisham, for example, there needs to be time to explore and feed your mind in a way that's like joyful instead of purposeful. And I don't think we have enough of that, especially in PT school where everything is so prescriptive there needs to be some time for some more like creative and joyful exploration that helps us become a better, more well-rounded human. One of the things that we really need to try as, and this, like you said, it kind of goes back, I would say to even, you know, college, you've got to taste test things. You've got to dip yes. your toe in and try it out. You've got to see, you know, a, and, and, and again, college isn't for everybody. You know, again, I would hope that my kids will go to college, but uh, you know, if not, you know, it's okay. I'm all right with that. I, I yeah. recognize, especially nowadays, more than ever, that it's not necessary per se. They can still have very successful careers and lifestyles if they don't choose to go to college. 
For sure. Um, and 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 I'm one that teaches in higher education and doesn't exactly think the ROI is there all the time. You right. know, so I'm okay with that. But yeah, I think we've got to let them try and try early and try often. You know, especially if I can support them in doing that. Like if they want to, if they want to explore basket weaving, like get after it. Like let's let's give you some time to learn for the sake of learning. Yeah, for sure. And and that honestly is looking back in hindsight, my English degree and my background in English was really where a lot of my creativity and, and, you know, want to write and to create and act and sing and play and do all these weird things that Mm. as a physical therapist I'm now doing, uh, you know, is, is crazy to me. Right. But it, it also makes sense now, you know, it's all starting to come full circle and I'm starting to see the why behind it. So I appreciate, you know, my pops RIP. I think he did a great job of, of, instilling a lot of that into me without me even knowing it uh, because I never thought I would teach given that he did it for 30 some odd years and I couldn't believe how how he did that and handled it especially high school kids right Uh, and yet now here I am full circle teaching so uh yeah I think that's a great answer we haven't heard that one very often so that is uh that is a, a breath of fresh air well, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time and for coming on to educate our audience in all things uh, emergency department and physical therapy related. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about where people can find you and reach out to you if they have further questions or follow up or just want to see what you're up to these days. Oh, I'd love that. So um, you can find me on Twitter at the EDDPT. Instagram is the same. You can find me on Facebook, the Emergency Department Physical Therapist. Our website is www.theeddpt.com. And you can also email me at theeddpt at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and just connect. I think the more conversations we have in physical therapy, the better. And I would say, even if even if we listened to this and you were like, hey, like, there's no way I, I ever want to do something like that. What I hope you took away from it is there are so many options in physical therapy and so many needs we should be feeling that we aren't. So I hope it just opens your mind a little bit to where can we be? Where should we be? Where aren't we? And how can we move society and our profession forward through a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking? Absolutely. I love that. Uh, we'll put all those links in the show notes so that it's easy for everybody to find you and get to. Rebecca, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.